All right. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aspiring Adult Podcast. And today is day three of the DDing mini series. So yesterday we talked about what it was like being, or what it is like rather, being a father and being a husband, and also what it is more specifically like being my father. And yeah, so today. The, the plan was <laughs> to have my dad interview me, but instead we're just going to quote-unquote riff. So we'll see how that goes, um, but here we go. All right. Anything I should have done different raising the three of you before or after the mother left? Honestly, I don't really remember too much from before mom left. One of the few memories that I have before mom left with you was actually um, when we'd go high railing on the weekends and we would stop. Because I had to. Right, because it was your job. It wasn't just for fun. You, You came with me when I had to go. Yeah, it was for work. And so you would take, you'd wake us up or wake me up. We would go to get donut holes and then we would go high rail. And I don't know why I remember it so vividly. We, it was kind of just like this. We would just, you know, we find ourselves in a lot of situations where we're just driving and it's just the two of us and we just have conversations so, that's that's the beginning of, I don't know, before mom left, but I can't really think of anything, because to your point yesterday, you're very consistent, so I don't think even when mom left, too much really changed about how you parent, or maybe it did change for you on your end, I don't know. Did it change for you much? No, not really. Yeah, so... I, I couldn't really tell a, a difference on my end either, so if that gives you any sort of validation. But then I would say the only thing that would be consistent between before and after would be patience. So yesterday you were talking about how your worst qualities are portrayed in your kids of yourself. So... I think that I lack an extreme amount of patience because if people don't know how to do something, when they ask me, when they come to me, I get frustrated of why is this something that you don't know how to do and you're coming to me instead of trying to figure out how to do this on your own. So I can think of a few times, one of which being when we're sitting at the kitchen table trying to learn how to do math and... I, I'm sitting there, I can't figure it out, I don't understand what a remainder is, and I'm trying to ask you, and you just say, that's what it is, I, I can't explain it to you, and I won't even say you said it, because you kind of yelled it, that's, that's just what it is, that's just the math, that's how the math works, I, I don't know what to tell you, and there was no real justification, I mean, there probably is, 
there there definitely is a justification as to why there is a remainder whenever you're doing long division, and yeah, what because it doesn't it does the math doesn't work out that way. It just, there's a remainder. It's just the way it is. Yeah, but there's probably like you probably could have done a demonstration like oh yeah you see these. 50 doesn't divide into 7 evenly. You probably said that, and you just weren't listening. See, that goes... Your, your patience is already withering right now as I'm describing <laughs> the story. <laughs> like, that's, that's, I think, the only, only thing that I feel like you could have done a little bit better... Um, we'll blame Grandma. Okay, that's fine. But other than that, I would say I wouldn't change how I was brought up at all. I wouldn't change anything that you taught me, or I wish that you would have taught me something sooner. I would have. I guess I wish you would have told me to invest my money sooner. But well, that's that is what it is. But anyways, um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a pretty firm understanding, or I came into the adult life with a pretty firm understanding of how things work. I wasn't one of those kids that went to college and didn't know how to work a washing machine. I wasn't one of those kids that didn't know how to unclog a toilet or anything like that. Uh, And then on top of that, I think that I also developed this emotional intelligence because... You and I had always had conversations with one another. Me starting at such a young age and so learning how to respectfully talk to adults and knowing how to cater what you're talking about to who you're talking to. So when you're talking to somebody's parents, when you would go over to your friend's house, you would say Mr. and Mrs. You would say you'd be very polite in your interactions with them. Uh, which also became very difficult because any time that mom would ask me for their names, like if they, she wanted to call and check in on something or see if they could pick me up from something, she would then be like, oh, what's Mr. and Mrs. First name? And I was like, why, would, why is that something I would know? You told me not to ask. Now, my recollection of all that is you would come back and tell us the stories of Mr. and Mrs., but the parents always would tell you, no, just call me. Bill and Mary. And so you would call them Bill and Mary and then come back so I wouldn't yell at you, tell me the story, whatever the story was. Oh, Mrs. Lemire, you know, said we could go here when you were talking, you know, it was Amy the whole time you were talking to her. Because she didn't want that, that thing where the, you know, move on to, move on to the greater thing. That's the problem with Facebook is that it, there is no division between adults and children. The Mr. and Mrs. was the adult was the division between adult and children. And I think that uh, that has gotten wrong. I would say that that was a Nico thing. I I didn't really find myself doing that as much nearly as Nico did. Okay. I think that's because Nico's friends were I don't know different than mine. But I always call except for when I started being friends with the Fab Five. Then that's when I called everybody by their first name. Mine. 
but you knew that. And then it kind of shifted. Then it kind of became mama, last name, mama, last name, and mama, last name, rather than everybody's first name. So You never called Becky coach? Hey, coach. No, I actually I think Becky was the only one that stayed Becky. I think she was always Becky. But yeah, I mean, I think growing up, learning that there was a difference between kids and adults, knowing that there was even as adults, if they didn't earn your respect, you were to respect them and, until they disrespected you. I remember one of the best. My favorite parenting moments of you is when I was on my one of my travel teams and the head coach told me to stop yelling in the dugout because I was being too loud and would always say like really condescending things to me. And I remember just not not giving him the time of day anymore because no, Barry. And I kind of stopped talking to him. I stopped cheering for him. I stopped interacting for him, to him, with him. And I still did what he told me to. I still was a team player. I still did everything for the team. But he then told me that I that he was my coach and that I had to respect him. To which I responded, respect is not given, it is earned. And you have not yet earned my respect. I guess that's one of your adages. But you then backed me up. And you're like, I'm not I'm not going to step in. And you disrespected her. And you, you made her feel like she was less than anybody else on the team. And you made her feel this way. And then a bunch of other girls rallied behind me. And they're like, yeah, you need to stop treating us like that. Do you remember that? Nope. So it was a... It was around that same time that we had we were getting stickers on our helmets, and he was only giving stickers to really his daughter. Do you remember that? No. And I just was so fed up with it. I was like, I'm not putting any of these damn stickers on my helmet. You know when, like, in football, it was really, really common that if you made a good play, your coach would give you a sticker, and then... Ohio State. Ohio State football is really big. The Buckeye stickers on their helmets. And so, I guess he saw that, and he's like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. And so, we got these stickers, and I would, I felt like I was doing a great job, that other girls on the team were doing a great job, but he was only giving the stickers to his daughter and his daughter's friend. And I was like, this is bullshit. I'm not, I'm not putting these stickers on my helmet. And so, that kind of is what started it, is that I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. And... Once I started doing that, he became frustrated with me because I was then too loud in the dugout. And I, I think that the too loud part was that I had an opinion that he didn't agree with or that he didn't want to listen to. And ultimately ended up being that I was challenging him and his views without saying anything. I was just challenging. Challenging his authority. Right, which was very, he was a very delicate ego. But... That was something that I was always very happy with growing up because I know that that was kind of a story that escalated in a few other realms, but there was a difference between kids and adults, kids and authority, but there was also a difference between, or 
you also gave us the ability to recognize when adults didn't deserve our respect and you supported us during that because even though that we were a kid that didn't mean that that adult deserved our full undivided attention and deserved us being respectful to that individual so I agree I mean it's yes respect is uh, earned not given that's a that's a tough thing for even when you get into the workforce is people trying to understand that when just because you are a you know the whole adage of respecting the position not the job you start out that way but you still have to earn the respect just because you just because you are over somebody doesn't mean that you can you deserve the respect the job has respect the human has to earn it yeah so I feel like that was definitely something and I know that you asked me what I was least or what I would change or what I would do differently but that would that ended up being something that was a positive so yeah but that's all that that's hurt me because I being mouthy you, you gotta you gotta play the thing out try to figure out how to play that so you can get what you want and not get hurt by it which I probably hurt myself in my career it is what it is let's see what else what about sports what about sports I don't know I mean it uh, I don't know there's a lot of people that was I mean Nicholas told me I couldn't say anything I wasn't allowed to say it damn thing at wrestling. I couldn't yell, couldn't do nothing, just sit there and shut up is all he'd tell me. But, I mean, I, did did you like that I helped coach or not that I? Um, there were definitely times when I liked it, but then there were times that I didn't like it because it was, it was difficult for me to see or like for I understand your parenting style, I guess is what I'm going to start with. I understand your parenting style. I understand why you do things, why you say things, the way in which you talk. And I think initially when people experience that for the first time, they don't necessarily know how to handle it. And they think that it's out of like condescending or it's out of like, trying to teach you something which meanness yeah um so that was always difficult initially because other girls were scared to speak up others uh like parents were watching and they didn't like how you said something to their girls one one thing sticks out in my mind specifically is when we were playing fall ball uh, and our team kind of merged with the firebirds and the ball, you threw the ball way past the girl, or the girl missed it, I don't really remember, but you told her, go fetch, and one of the moms was like, go fetch, go fetch, and I was like, are you, are you kidding, like, yeah, go, go fetch the ball, it's a, it's a verb, it's how you go get and return the ball, go fetch it, and it was just like, that just made me uncomfortable, because it's like, that's my dad, and it felt like I I can't say anything in that instance. Like, what am I going to say to the mom? Like, shut up. 
I, I don't know. That was the only thing that I had a that I had a hard time with. Um, I did enjoy Rec Ball, the coaching, um, but I don't think that you would have been a great, great pair for Steve if the two of you were coaching. I, I don't think that would have gone over smoothly. So I'm, I'm grateful on your behalf that you did not coach with Steve. Um, Steve was interesting though, right? Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was kind of a jackass, but. Oh, he was a huge jackass. He was a huge jackass, but he taught me a very, very impactful lesson is, and I've used this anytime that I get feedback from somebody now, but he said to me, and all of the girls, we were in our like team huddle before the game, and it was right after he finished screaming at all of us at, during like one of our other games that we weren't playing hard enough, that we were being lazy, I don't know. Constant, probably wasn't healthy what he was saying. But he said, I love you just as much before the game as I do after. And anytime he give us feedback or tell us that we did something wrong or would yell at us for doing something, he didn't say it because he was mad at us. He said it because he wanted us to be better and he knew we could be better. And I'm sure other girls took it to mean something different, but that's how I've always taken it to mean. And that's how I translated it into my adult life is anytime someone's giving you feedback it's not, it, it, it might be because they're mad at you or because and they might not be giving it to you in the most impactful way, but it's likely because they know that you can do better or that it's likely because they're looking for a different outcome. I guess I would say out of that is you need to see where they're coming from. And you, you need to know where people are coming from to understand what they're saying. That's right. Why it's always interesting to try to figure out how people grew up, what their background is, because... You know, you need to know where people come from so you can get what you need to out of people, good or bad. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to mean that, but, you know, he would, that, that would put him in line and he would do what I needed him to do. But the thing about Steve was interesting is out of all of the coaches that all of you kids had, Steve was amazing that he influenced the game. Every game, he influenced that game. Sometimes bad, but almost always good. I mean, he was good for at least one run, if not two, by himself. And that was always amazing to watch. Always amazing to watch. He was very much so <laughs> on the mindset. So for those of you that don't really know sports, being good for one or two runs Obviously, the girls have to get on base in order for somebody to score, but how they advance from base to base is what he was best at. So if the ball was getting out of the infield and you were on first base, you were getting to third majority of the time, if not scoring. He was under the mindset of you make them make the play. You have to be so confident that you are that they're going to mess something up, that they're going to make that play under pressure. That's, that was what his mentality was. Do you, do you remember the suicide, the squeeze, and the girls all, once he gave up, when he explain, gave, explain what a suicide. When he, gave a, when he gave a signal, the girls all had to tap their head that they understood. And uh, 
uh, a, a squeeze or a suicide is the girl. You have someone on third, girls at, at uh, girls up at bat, bunts the ball, and the girl's running home. The girl is girl on third is running home no matter what. The girl ha- at bat has to get the ball in play no matter what because it's coming. And I don't know who's at bat, but Steve gave that gave it to him. Girl didn't know what to do, didn't understand it, you know, rolled her arm to get it repeated. Did it again. She didn't understand it. Finally, he walked halfway down the thing and just screamed at her, bunt the ball. Whoever was on third, she's going to run home. You're going to bunt the ball. She's going to score. That is going to happen. You need to do that. Look to everybody in the field. They all know what's happening now. Put the ball into play. So he went back up, stayed there. Everybody's wigging out. The coach on the other side, not quite sure what's happening. Starts getting his players to come in. And what, it was Law? Uh-huh. Law bunted, bunted, got it down. Girl on third scored. We had one on first or second. Got the third. Gave it again. Steve would use the squeeze until they could stop it. And he, after the first one... He would give the signal laughing until they could stop it. And it would just, and to your point, the best defense is a greater offense. You know, and, and, and he would just drive them and have them crazy. The Firebirds, even in rec ball, I remember, because we would run. We ran, we, I, always, I always find it funny this week, but you guys ran, we, we ran the bases hard. And I just remember that one time where he had, like, someone backing up third because we were coming to third. He just knew we were coming to third. He surrendered half the field to protect third. And we still got the third and would score. And it was just – it was funny to watch. And that – we're in Colorado. That was a, not a very interesting sign that was broken. Wow. But – no, I, I, I think, you know, people – you know, I, when I tell people that you've never had a job, didn't have a job in high school, they all kind of laugh. All right, I had a job. I had a job. You barely went to, what was it? Mama Mama Gazzardi's. You barely worked there. But you but you all played sports. And to me, that was a much better thing for job discipline and everything else than anything a job could have. I would say I've, I've learned way more. And... Granted, I played very competitive softball, and I had great coaches that taught us a lot, um, or taught me a lot. I've referenced my sports career way more than I've referenced past work experiences, current work experiences, with understanding how to manage managers or how to manage coaches, how to get people to rally to do something on a team that you don't necessarily agree with, but your coach or your your manager wanted you to do. Like, that, those things I learned how to be very good at from sports and learned how to be a team player, which is honestly, like, what has allowed for me to be more diplomatic at work, I guess you could say. But knowing that 
your main job, and this is something that I learned playing volleyball, I was always, or to to have more context, every sport that I played that required a ball and was a team sport, I was the second person to touch the ball. Always the second person. I got to dictate that fi- that neck where that ball was going to next. You, you, you didn't want to be a catcher. I didn't want to be a catcher. I, I wanted to be the pitcher. And then I told you that the catcher runs, you know, always has the ball, makes plays, and then that was kind of an interesting conversation when you grudgingly did it and then realized. Right. But I was a setter in volleyball. I was catcher in softball. I got to call the plays. I got to call what everyone was doing. I got to see everything. And in doing that, it's also my job. It was my job to make it was my job to make sure that everybody else looked good. I got a shitty pass. I needed to make that into a good set. I got a shitty pitch. I had to frame that into a good one. It was my job to make sure that everybody else looked good. And that has carried over so positively for me in my professional life because people like when you make them look good. They like when you produce valuable work. They like when you impact somebody more than just beyond yourself. And that was something, a crucial lesson that I learned from playing sports that I would have never learned from being a hostess at Mama Guzardi's. I would agree. Even though you only worked there for like a half an hour every other month. It was three hours every Wednesday, okay? Uh, Did you feel, I guess the school part, Dad said that, the, the school part did not prepare you for college. Oh my God, no. If, actually, you know what? Now that we're on the subject, I'm going to unplug this. If I were to go back and have you do things differently, I would have you put me in private school. I think that would have been money well spent because... But it's also one of those things you don't know until you're kind of working your way through the school system. You should have known when I was not showing up to school senior year, I never went to class. I was a great student. I was a great athlete. And... I was at work. I would just not... There were weeks that I would be out of school. And because I was traveling, I was going to go, like, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. But we would just take time off and just not go to school. And I was still making A's in all of my classes. You should have known. You should have known that school was not preparing me for college. Especially being that you were expecting me to get into college and do engineering. Like, you, you thought that me not sitting home struggling every day was normal? Like, that's... That's not something you experienced. Oh, I did. But, anyhow. Now, I would say school, I, I don't know. I School, high school, middle school, whatever, was very easy for me. I never really had to study. I never really tried that hard because it all just came so easily to me. It was pretty much just 
memorize, regurgitate, or you change, you know how to do three physics problems and you know how to do everything on the exam. It was never, never hard. I never really had to apply myself beyond just the surface level knowledge that they teach you. Socially, you were, uh, you were ready for college? I would say socially I was ready for college. I mean, I got bullied in high school a lot. Um, I got bullied in middle school and high school. Um, Who bullied you? Your brother? No, I got bullied at school by the kids I went to school with. Did Liz put up with that? It was was largely because um, I was confident in who I was at a very young age. I knew... Do you remember... We went to that. It was. It was. Uh, what was that meeting? It was a, a, a gifted, gifted meeting, and all the parents and everybody was in there, and people were asking questions. People were asking dumbass. Adults were asking dumbass questions, and I won't probably get this right. And then all of a sudden, you were sitting away from, I guess, your mother and I, and. You raised your hand, and I go, oh, my God, here we go. Well, what were the caliber of the questions? Like, put that into perspective. I, they were just asking, oh, I mean, all the typical stuff. Where's the bathroom? You know what I mean? Where's the bathroom? How do we get to school? What? I, I, I don't even know, but they were just silly. It was like, are we going to learn how to speak Chinese? Yeah, I mean, they were just silly questions. And then you raised your hand, and I'm going, okay, here we go. And this was what? Nine, ten, eight? And I can't remember what the teacher said. Or the, but there's something about that you guys are the cream of the crop. You are the hand-picked. You were this. You were that. You raised your hand and made some comment. that Why are you saying everybody else is not very smart? Why, why, why are we... It was just in it. I think my question was... If we're so smart, why are you taking us out of our classes with other students that could benefit from us and putting us into class? Like, what are we getting from this class that I'm not getting in my classroom already? Yeah, yeah pretty much. And, and it was just kind of entertaining that you the, 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 took a deep breath and tried to explain. Didn't have a good explanation, but it was just kind of interesting. And you were, you had to have been, you had to have been less than 10. Yeah, so, I mean... I say I was bullied. I mean, if you were to ask, like, oh, were you popular in high school? I would say, <laughs> I always joke about this with Aaron Haymaker, or Aaron, who I had on my last podcast, or one of my previous episodes, but I, w- I guess you would call us popular, but in my definition of popular, that means you were well-liked. I would say I was well-known, but I wasn't well-liked. I would say my... Because I had so much confidence in myself and I knew who I was and I knew what values I had, people didn't like that. People people thought I was conceited. People thought I was full of myself. And I can remember very specifically... Were you going to say something? Arrogant. Arrogant, yeah. And I can remember very specifically senior year, um, there were a group of guys that were in my senior class probably like 10 of them and they were 
I don't know, your average average high school kid, like I don't know. And they called themselves the Alpha Males. And to put this into a little bit further perspective, I was very much so in my lifting phase and I was going to the gym, I don't know, three times a day. I was going in the morning before school, I was going to school, taking my senior option to go to the gym, and then working out after school before I had softball or whatever practice. Screwed up your throwing arm. Screwed up my throwing arm. Couldn't throw a ball worth a damn. So much so to, I was lifting so much and I was huge to the point where instead of when I would get in trouble, my dad would ground me from going to the mall or going to hang out with my friends. I was grounded from going to the gym. That's how much I was lifting. So I could lift. I I could outlift pretty much anyone in my senior class, boy or girl. And the fact that they called themselves the alpha males was just hilarious to me. I thought it was so funny. I didn't get it. I still don't get it. They, I think they still call each other the alpha males. It's it's quite comical. Uh, but. And they all still live in that town. They all still live in that town. They, they've not experienced anything else. Yeah. We'll go with that because that's kind of derogatory what I'm saying. They all still live in that town. They have not left. Um, and so. I remember we were doing senior superlatives, and it's like best eyes, best hair, and there's a boy and girl in every category. And one of the kids started going through the list and decided that he was going to announce who he was going to put in every category. And so he starts going through, and it's like best eyes. I'm going to put Jason for this. Girl, N.A. Next one. Best hair. Oh, I'm going to put Davis for this girl, N.A. That continues going on for every single superlative. And I turn around and I say, you must either really love men or really hate women. And he looked at me and said, uh, what? I was like, you are so misogynistic that you can't even recognize that a girl has the best style. Like, you're kidding, right? And because I would do stuff like that, I got so much flack because I was so confident in being able to speak up to other kids that I recognized that what they were doing was wrong and that they didn't want to be called out for it. That and I just liked attention from boys. So that, that kind of was twofold thing. So. Well, there you go. I was going to, we'll, we'll get into that. So, so are we done with that? I guess we're done with that. Uh, how, how do you think your mother's leaving affected you? Well, something that I probably didn't recognize during the time was... I will, I will say that in hindsight, I screwed up by it. And I tell everybody now that's going through divorce or whatever that they need to take the kids to therapy. They need to get that thought talk, you know just because I could understand and, I, and maybe I didn't or maybe I did or didn't understand it but maybe I could figure it out but the kids certainly can't they don't know what's going on they think it was their fault some some portion of it they think it was their fault I wouldn't say that I ever thought that mom leaving was specifically my fault I never felt responsible for her leaving even though she did say that she didn't want to be a mother I didn't feel responsible for that uh Um, But I would say something that I probably didn't realize that I was doing at the time, I was 
doing stupid shit, like very stupid shit, and getting in trouble for it. Like I can think of for one instance when I went over to our next door neighbor's house and said I was going to somebody else's house, and I literally left footprints in the snow from our house to our neighbor's house. Um, so that was obviously very stupid and something I could very much so avoid. But I, I have to believe that I did those things because I was seeking out attention or I don't know. It's kind of like when your dog shits on the rug or if you have a dog that keeps shitting on the rug and the only attention that you give it during the day is when you beat it. Like, not saying that I was beat or anything along the lines, but that's kind of how my brain thinks of it. Like, that was the attention that I was getting because, I don't know, you were busy at work, you were doing your own life, and if I were to get attention, that's how I was going to get it, is to get in trouble. So I would say that was that was one of the effects of her leaving, and I did a lot of out-of-character things. I, was, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, which is when you taught me that adage of show me your friends and I'll show you the future or show you your future which became very apparent to me um I just was hanging out with the wrong crowd but that that was something that really highlighted who I need to be spending my time with what what I gain from people that I'm spending time with um or what I really lose from people I'm spending time with, I should really say, but that was, that was definitely one of the things, having, seeking attention in that regard. I would say that, um, another thing that happened after mom left is I was just very much so seeking male attention, and I think that I was seeking male attention being a, a, a developed young gal, Um, I would say that I was seeking male attention because I had complete control over that relationship. I had control over what I was willing to share with them, what I was willing to do for them. And I could decide that I wanted to end it at any point. And so that was something that I felt I had power of after being left, that I could choose when I was going to leave. And so that kind of went to my head really fast of this is something that I have complete control over another individual with. And I would just burn through guys. And I would get what I wanted from them. And normally it was just attention. It was never really anything physical. But it was normally just I got attention from a guy. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. On to the next one. Who, who else can I get attention from? And so then kind of built out a, a not great reputation for myself, but looking back on it, I mean, I think nothing that I did was out of the ordinary for a, a high school girl. I think I just got called out for it more because I was more well-known or more popular, if you will. But I guess I always worry with all of you, really, it's just that... that... You know, the whole thing of, of, of not knowing. I, mean, I guess you just said it, being in control. But but always, are you fully committed to a relationship? Because somewhere in the back of your mind, you always think they're going to leave. You know, because your mom left. And does that have some sort of... Um, 
being that I've only ever really been in, I would say, I don't know, I've been in a few relationships, I've had quite a few boyfriends, but I think my only, like, I had, I would say I only have been in, like, two serious relationships, my first relationship with Brandon, and then my second relationship with Brett, I would say the other ones were a little, were much shorter, and so I didn't really expect much from them, um, but in my relationship with Brett, I was never afraid of him leaving, and I think that I was more afraid of hurting him, and what, in the way that mom had hurt you, and that, to me, was scarier than anything else, is that I had the ability, and I guess that also then played into, like, some of my relationships that weren't as long-term, but I have the ability to hurt somebody who cares so deeply about me. And it may be something that I don't have control over. It may it may not be because I cheated. It may not be because... It may just be because all of a sudden one day I woke up and I, I don't have the same feelings. And that, to me, is what has been scary. Because I'm just in a relationship. I'm not married to this individual. I don't have kids with this individual. If I wake up and decide, all right, this isn't what I want anymore... And then that continues to persist for months. I mean, it's a delicate balance of trying to figure out, is this the person that I'm supposed to be with? Or am I settling? And that, that's always kind of been in the back of my mind of how do you distinguish the difference of knowing when you're not going to settle and knowing when you should settle down to commit. And I think that that was something that really, really played a, a hard factor in my longest relationship of trying to figure out is this what I want to be for the rest of my life and if it's not then I shouldn't be here so what do you want for the rest of your life I do you want to be a mom do you want to be do you, I guess do you want to be married do you want to be a mom I don't know to be honest um, I don't think the concept of marriage makes much sense to me and I know we talked about it yesterday but I just think that the bounds of it are really weird and to your point of you're learning about divorce immediately when you start learning about marriage is just a wild wild concept to me of if you really love somebody why do you need a piece of paper to enforce that if I'm going to be with somebody I'm going to be with somebody despite whether, whether there's a legal document or not. I also just think that the conformity of marriage or the rituals of marriage are quite bizarre. The rituals, such as? You have to buy a diamond ring. It's just a, a weird, like, why? You why? have to. You don't. You, you don't, but it, it's just a weird, like... And as I see more and more people doing it, or more people I know getting married, the more weird it becomes. It's like, are they, are they happy though? Sure, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they. Sure, yeah, they seem happy. But it's just weird. Like, but, but again, you don't know. I don't know. I don't. Because you know, like I, I've always said, it's like driving down the neighborhood. You know, someone leaves their front door open. You look in their front door, and man, they got look. That looks pretty nice in there. They must have a really nice house. 
you go anywhere outside of that slim view, who knows what's happening? And that's the same thing with relationship. You don't, you know, you see them at, out in the public, and hopefully they're on their best behavior, but you don't know what happens at home. Right. And that's not the part that I think is weird. The parts of marriage that I think are weird, like, a man has to go and ask your dad for permission. Like, I, I didn't that's that to me is weird um why do you need permission it's my choice um that i don't know that to me is weird and then like needing to invite all of these people on like a bachelorette trip and like that to me is also weird um also just having like i get having your family and friends like be there at the ceremony but to me it just seems like it's an intimate thing. Like, marriage is an intimate thing that's very delicate. So I don't know if I would even want to have a, a massive ceremony where I need to wear a white dress. Like, why? why also, why is a white dress? Like, it's, it's weird. All of it's weird. It's so weird. I don't... You know what the white dress symbolizes, right? Purity, which God knows no one getting married uh, nowadays is pure. It's kind of funny that you thought you were going to wear white. <laughs> it's just, I don't, like... And also, who was white really flattering on? Not me, not I. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. And it's just like all these weird, like, conformity things. Like, do I, if I were, and this goes back to what you were saying yesterday, like, is that really what you want? Do I really want a diamond ring? Is that what I really want? Is that something that's really going to make me happy? I'm not getting grandkids, am I? I don't know, maybe. I, I don't know. But that the whole concept to me is, like, yeah, I, it makes me question a lot about, like, is that something that I really want? Is, do I really want to spend $30,000 on a wedding? Do I, I mean, you don't have to do either of them. I know, but, like, it's just, like, I mean, that's... Inst- Instagram, again, is forcing a lot of that stuff. Agreed. But that, to me, it's, like... That marriage, that form of marriage, and what I've been seeing is not something that I think I want to get my hands around. I mean, I think, yes, I could see myself getting married. I I don't know about children at this point in time. Um, I don't either. I'm not sure about I want to have children. I think, I don't know. It's just, there's so much going on in the world right now that me bringing a child into it, it doesn't make too much sense to me. That's every, every generation says the same things. Yeah, and I... Every generation. I agree. And, I mean, if I were to have my own kids and raise them, then I could decide what their upbringing is. I get that. But I also have spent, I would say, 20, maybe 22 years of my life trying to conform to other people's expectations and I've only recently discovered... Who I, who I am, who I really want. And, and I say that being that I just said that I knew who I was in high school. But I've spent, I, I guess I'll say, I've spent a good portion of my life trying to cater to other people's needs and cater to other people's expectations and what I thought that my life was supposed to look like and who I was supposed to be. And have, being 24 years old and with my own job and own money to pay for things have only really 
been able to begin to reap the benefits of that. And so I think in my 20s, I don't foresee myself having a child. I, I, give, you, I, mean, I, I give you a lot of credit for... You know, you didn't you didn't move to South Carolina. You didn't move back to Ohio. You you decided you wanted to go to Boston, and you moved to Boston. And now you, you know, you tried that. And now you're moving all the way across the country. I mean, nobody in our family's ever moved out there. Nobody. We don't have any family out in the West Coast. And thank God we don't have any in the Middle Coast. But you know, I mean, all that. I think that's interesting. That was the one thing I you know right or wrong but your mom was always you know she went back to school and got this and did that for a while went back to school and did that and went you know and went back to school and you know she she kind of always was kind of changing herself unfortunately I got changed out too but you know shit happens but there's a lot of people that won't do that and I, I for me for one now one of the reasons why your mom could do it is because she had a stable base you know to some extent that's the same with you you have a stable base behind you which is again like we talked yesterday it just there's not a whole lot of people that have a fallback a very good fallback might not be what you want to do but it's not the worst thing in the world am I supposed to come up with another question is there anything else? Like, did you like how I answered that question? Or it's your answer. How can I like or dislike your or do answer? Do you have any follow-up questions to the answer? Was that did that tickle your fancy? In terms did of- it tickle my fancy? No, I just you know I, I, I one of those things. I just always worry that uh, that you're not going to be a grandfather. No, that 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 nobody wants to be alone. And I worry that that whole thing, I mean, it, you know, it's, and maybe I'm wrong, but there's not very many people, families, that the kids are left with the dad. The dad usually leaves. That's the, that's the thing that's more understandable. The, the woman that pushed you out kept you. Now, the woman that pushed you out abandoned you, you know. And I just, that has to have a different feel. Whether you understand it or not, it just it, it has to, I would think that it would just have to have some sort of effect on your relationships going forward. I don't know. No, and I think that it has definitely, I mean, I could easily admit to saying that I've run away from my feelings towards mom and that I've tried my best to repress any thoughts of her relationship with you and her relationship with us during any of my romantic relationships but I think it's also allowed for me to earlier decide what I'm truly looking for from a relationship so for me I I know what I want from a relationship I know where I want to end up in life or kind of the realm in which I'd want to navigate to but I know I want to be taken care of I know what my love languages are I know the kind of values that I'm looking for in another individual. And I don't know if those are even things that I would have been privy to. Because 
on your bookshelf when you and mom, I guess, were seeing a, a couples counselor. I don't know, maybe. Yep. You got the, the five love languages book. And I read that when I was in middle school and started learning about what love languages were and what mine was because there was a test in it. So I learned at a very, very young age what I needed in order to feel loved and also knowing that what I needed isn't necessarily what I give out. So learning that and allowing for me to see some of the remedial things that you and mom are doing, going to counseling, having conversations, reading books, inviting the kids to conversations that we were maybe too young to be having. But I think all of that played into getting into a relationship. Because, I, I mean, I would say I've only been in a, a relationship with one not stellar guy. And the most wanted. Do you remember him? Canton's most wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I only... And that's probably also during that time when I was looking to get... When I was hanging out with the wrong crowds. But... I think that I've always found myself around good men. And I think that's largely because I had you model what being a good man was. Uh, a better question might be geared towards Nico and David of what a model of a good woman would look like. So, A good partner. Yeah, good partner. I guess David is also looking for a man, so... True, but a good partner. I had a question, I forgot it. Typical. Yes, it is. I guess my my thing, I get I, I get picked at at work a lot because I don't give a lot of praise. I kind of always assume that, and I definitely don't run around and praise people out in public like, oh, Sarah did such a wonderful job. I, I may tell you on the side occasionally that you did well or, you know, proud of you about doing something, very occasionally. But uh, people at work, I mean, you know, we have a conference call every Friday and, you know, everybody, all all the other people in my peer group all, you know, start talking about how well everybody did. And they get to me, no, I I don't have anything. We move on. We do what we do. You do what your job is. You're supposed to do it and move on. If If you can't find... You know, if you can't find the happiness in yourself for what you did, me saying it doesn't make any sense. I, I just know, I, I don't ever understand that. That was never a, an issue. I was quick for. Uh... No, I mean, praise is something I constantly. So, Steve, going back to softball coach, he would make fun of me because I would always look at him for validation. I was always looking at him for validation. And I would swing off the tee and I would look to him to see what his remarks were because I expected validation on every single thing that I did and I think that I was never really bothered by the lack of praise or the lack of I don't know yeah I guess the lack of praise on your end because I was validated by so many other different aspects of my life I was validated in sports when I made the varsity team as a freshman. I was validated in school by making A's. I was validated 
also by getting into like NHS, getting into the clubs that I wanted to. And I think that the praise was more, it might not have been verbal, but it was always... From me? Yeah, I would say that it was, um, like if I, I did really well at something, the praise was that you continued to support it or you would put money into it or you you did something outside of a verbal realm of acknowledgement. Maybe like I I did something I I guess one thing would be like um I would get more permissions or not permissions, I would get more abilities to do things. More latitude. Right. I would I would get more I would acquire more things, not tangible things necessarily, but I would get more abilities to go drive somewhere by myself, or I think those fell under the scope of praise. Did you you realize that at the time that that was happening? I don't, like, if you were to ask me, no, but I think, again, going back and, and reading about love languages and understanding that there's more than just words of affirmation that you can get confirmation from somebody in a multitude of ways I realized that I wasn't going to get it from you verbally and I think that going back to my prior point of me being in conversations with you and mom at a very young age that I probably shouldn't have been a part of mom told me outright that you were not good at communication and so that was something that I just knew inherently that, or not inherently, that I would just outright was told. So I knew that I was never going to get verbal praise from you. And I knew that I had to expect it in different avenues. Does that make sense? No, I get it. I just, you know, interesting. Just curious. All right. Well, we're at an hour for today, so... We'll call that good for the riff today, or the tiff. Was it the riff or the tiff? Tiff? We didn't get in a tiff, so we'll stick with riff. All right. Didn't get in a tiff, so we'll stick with riff. All right. Well, we made it to Colorado after being in Kansas for a hot minute. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you on tomorrow's episode of DDing on AA. Bye.